welcome to Falter Ego episode three. Um, I hope you're doing well. Now, this episode, we're going to be talking about social media. Um, but before we start that, um, I just wanted to acknowledge something that happened in January, which is which bears some relevance to this episode. Um, so Thich Nhat Hanh, who is uh, sort of a world-renowned Vietnamese um, mindfulness expert, practitioner, and also a peace activist, um, he passed away this month. And um, he's he's been a huge influence, or at least a help uh, to me. Um, I sort of only stumbled on his uh, writings um, about four or five years ago, which kind of seems it's a bit like stumbling on like a Noam Chomsky or Shakespeare or something. It's like how did I not know about this this uh, this lovely man before? Anyway, I would on, I'd really urge you to go and read um, anything he's written. Um, just the mere act of reading something by him is is like a form of practice in of itself um it's very calming it's extremely useful it's very practical and it's a it's a real um salve i think uh, in these um <laughs> pretty stressful times so if uh, if you've got any spare time honestly I, I would recommend you go and read anything by him um miracle of mindfulness the miracle of mindfulness is is uh, particularly was well was particularly useful to me um, so yeah, go and, go and go and give him a read uh, if you can. I'll also be quoting him uh, later on in the episode as well because a lot of uh, what he said pertains specifically to, well, all, every episode to be honest, but specifically this one. So social media. Now this, this episode kind of rounds off the first three episodes of this podcast. There's a, uh, this is sort of like laying the groundwork or, or sort of, um, you know, uh, painting the uh, painting the scene for, I guess what the steps that I went through, or these like I guess like layers of the onion that gradually peeled away, and and revealed to me that um, oh yeah, crikey, I think ego is the sort of you know the big villain you know behind all the other villains. Um, so we've talked about satire in episode one where. I, I guess I realized I was slightly complicit in a kind of arrogant scoffing and wanting, you know, wanting my voice to be heard more uh, and doing that by, you know, tapping into things that people already agree with rather than exploring any ideas that challenge myself specifically um, as, as well as feeding into like a, a broader, yeah, cultural problem of just uh, viewing your enemies with sheer disdain and, and not, seeing them as human beings with a story, um, you know, a complete lack of empathy and not exploring empathy or empathetic solutions, um, just going, haha, those those people over there are, are idiots. Um, and we'll get into that. That'll actually come back a bit in this episode too. Um, the news we talked about and how it makes us afraid, makes you burrow into yourself, overstimulates us, um, creates a sort of nocebo effect where you start distrusting people, um, but yeah, also makes you hunker down into yourself and, and want to protect yourself and think about numero uno. But those two areas, I, I suppose, are less insidious in my mind than social media. And I, I feel like social media, I could probably do like 10 episodes on. And, and maybe there will be future episodes that cover individual sort of facets of problems that arise on social media. But looking at social media broadly, um, uh, to me, yeah, it's it's a far worse contribution um, or force acting on 
our egos and our mental health and all these sorts of things. Because I, I think, unlike with satire and the news, where I, you know some of these bad things can affect us as a sort of byproduct. To me, social media is specifically designed to do what it does, and to me, what it does is is nothing good. You know, satire can inflame ego. If if you think of ego as a bit of a disease, you know, inflammatory illnesses. There are things you can do to avoid them, like you know, you don't. Don't eat too much sugar because sugar causes inflammation or can, um, you know. But satire is is to ego what sugar is to inflammation. Like it, it can it can make you a bit more of an egotistical person and 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 a less empathetic, less sort of interconnected human being. Um, but that's a byproduct. Whereas social media is is the the entire business model of social media is. Uh, is built on purposefully inflaming your ego for cash. It's it's built that way. They've got behavioral psychologists working out how to design apps and stuff to tickle you in specific ways. And the entire the entire industry, uh, you know, hasn't created this thing that accidentally um, targets or you know affects ego. It's it's built specifically to tickle you. Now, why is why is that a bad thing? I mean, I, you know, so far in this podcast, we've been talking about you know how these different, I guess, cultural spheres might uh, not be your best friend. You know, they might might affect, uh, they might increase the amount of ego in in the world. Um, but obviously, that's that's only a problem if you agree that ego is bad in the first place. And I don't think I've really discussed uh, or proven on this podcast so far that, that ego is, is actually a bad thing. Maybe it's a good thing. You know, I, lots of people could just respond and say, yeah, but uh, you keep saying it increases ego, but you're not demonstrating why that's a problem. I mean, why is more ego bad? Now, that's a great question. And um, I, I think you, you might just have to take that on trust for a moment because otherwise this episode would become in, about something else entirely. Um, we'll be talking about ego and, and, and sort of the uh, re- well reasons why it's negative in more depth um, further down the track. But to try and tackle it broadly, I, th- I think what, what, what's interesting here is to establish a conflict or uh, I guess two warring factions on either side of a line um and hopefully this might help triangulate for you why why ego might not be a good thing on the on the one side or why at least social media might not be a a good thing with ego in mind so on the one side you've got uh western psychology you've got um eastern thought which generally say that better mental health can come about as a result of looking at your thoughts the thoughts in your head and approaching them with a, a sense of a cautious detachment. And so what that means is, you know, if, if somebody bumps into you on the bus and doesn't say sorry, you know, what can happen uh, is you can end up going into a bit of a, a tailspin. You know, you can go, oh, why didn't that person apologize to me? And God, this day's rubbish, isn't it? And it's just another thing and a long line of things that have gone wrong. I'm just, I'm so unlucky, I, I, I. And, and before you know it, you're sort of caught in this maelstrom of negative thinking um, when really all that's happened is a person bumped into you on the bus. Um, it doesn't mean you're a loser. It doesn't mean you're going to have a bad day. But, you know, those of us with 
mental health problems might catastrophize from that incident and project forward into the future. You know, an- anxiety is is generally a you know a concern about some what's going to happen. But the problem is when we buy into these feelings, right? So you're thinking all this stuff and you're thinking, well, that's me that's thinking that stuff. And I'm I'm going to go along for the ride. Uh, I guess this is what I'm thinking about right now. And yeah, I'm just I'm going to I'm going to go with it. When really there's there's a lot to be gained from realizing that the, sometimes the thoughts in your head um, have been thought by themselves. Um, I think we have this weird relationship with our thoughts that we you know I think we attach too much identity to them. Like, Those are my thoughts. Um, but often, often thoughts come, you know, they arise and they dissipate all by themselves. I think a handy kind of framework to think about our our thoughts is, is, is similar to breathing. Um, a lot of breathing happens fairly automatically. Like your body can handle that by yourself, by itself. Um, and it's not too often that you have to consciously breathe. You don't have to focus on, oh, I've got to breathe in now. Oh, I've done that. Now I've got to breathe out. Shit. Um, have, I got to, have I got to do this for 80 years? <laughs> Just because it's really hard to think about anything else. Have I got to focus on this breathing gig? Um, you know, when you're asleep, your body handles breathing. And when you're not paying attention during the day, your body handles breathing. Think, thinking is very similar. Like your, your mind is very capable of thinking stuff all by itself. And... Um, as with breathing, you know, you only really notice your breath if you have to do something intentional, like hold your breath because you're going underwater or um, I don't know if you're in a, uh, I don't know, in a business meeting or something and you, you don't want to sigh too loudly or breathe too loudly. You're trying to be quiet. So you kind of monitor your breathing and make sure you're not going, <gasps> you know. So there, there are moments where you can switch on that deliberate focus. As with thinking, it's the same, it's the same kind of thing. A lot of these thoughts just pop up, pop up in your head or in your mind's eye, um, without you doing any, without you forcing it. Right, that just comes up by itself. Um, and the, unlike with breathing, the problem is we, we sometimes mistake those thoughts as the result of a deliberate sort of conscious choice, because it's hard not to identify with thoughts, right? Because they're in your head. Um, so it's hard not to go along for the ride. And if you're thinking all these bad things, you know, suddenly, you know, I've, I've sometimes got caught in cycles of, of negative thinking and, and then looked at my watch, you know, and like 20 minutes have passed and I've been ruminating on this. This is what I'm going to say to that person next time I'm on the bus. If I see them, rah, 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 I just get really, really caught up in it. I think caught up in it is a really useful phrase to, to keep in mind um, as we as we go on. Um. You're, you, yeah, you sort of, with that, almost against your will, you get sucked into these, into these thoughts, and what a lot of, um, yeah, what a, what a lot of, you know, uh, psychiatric practices and, and Eastern thought try to tell us is that by training yourself, either through meditation, focusing on your breath, um, watching, you know, watching um, your thoughts as they come and go, which is. Uh, in there's a meditation for that called vipassana or vipassana some people pronounce it that way and what that does is it unlocks this sort of state where you really you can sort of watch these thoughts 
come and go. So that the trick is not to identify necessarily with your thoughts. Not all the time. You should obviously identify with thoughts if that's helpful. But there's a lot of thoughts that are definitely not coming from, quote unquote, you, right? And there's a lot of thoughts that are coming from just the, the thinking mind, the, the, you know, the brain just doing what it does, which is think. But it's healthy to treat those thoughts or regard those thoughts with as much like that's me-ness as, you know, a twitching eyelid or a cramping muscle. Like you, you don't get a cramp in your leg and go, well, that's who I am. You know, it's, it's just sensation, um it's you know it's it's the wind on your face it's you know it's the sight of that you know wasp over there it's all just sensation thoughts are just can be treated as just another stimulus that's not coming from and again quote unquote you we like to imagine there's like this you know ceo in your head like the boss of your brain and if you could find that ceo you know, the boss of your brain, the manager, you would recognize that 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 is you, right? That there's a boss in charge and there's all these sort of stray thoughts going on. But don't worry, because somewhere in there, there's actually a, a, a kind of central figure. What you realize when you when you dive really deep, if you really watch all your thoughts, is actually there's no, there's no central figure who wants to think these things. Um, and the really freaky bit <laughs> is is when you're watching all these thoughts, and I'm sure this has happened uh, to everybody, happens to me all the time, is you're thinking something and then you catch yourself and go, hang on a minute, I don't agree with that thought or I don't want to think about that or I shouldn't be thinking that. But then you, you get sucked into this kind of regression, you know, ad, infin ad infinitum. I was like, well, hang on, if I... If I don't want to be thinking those thoughts, who thought them? And then who is the person thinking, I don't want to think those thoughts? Because is that me? Which one is the is the me? Am I the thought that I didn't want to think? Or am I the person thinking, I don't want to think those thoughts? And then you go, well, hang on, who am I now thinking about this whole conundrum? Now I'm three layers up. So now I'm, I'm, I'm this, you know, it's like a trifle of consciousness. <laughs> There's all these different layers. It's like, who am I that's thinking about I, which one of these pairs of thoughts am I? And who am I now asking that question? And it goes on and on and on and on. And you realize that, um, and hopefully what you unlock eventually, which is really, really healthy, is um, what's known as the knowing mind, which is like this sort of passive state where you're just receiving all this information without necessarily buying into it or judging it or getting caught up in it. Now, two really lovely things happen in this state. One is that you sort of stop buying into the thoughts that get presented to you. You kind of, you know, you can just sit there and watch. It becomes like a sort of consciousness equivalent of, you know, the X factor or, like, you know, Britain's Got Talent or something. Where, you know, these thoughts come on the stage and perform for you. And then if you want to, you can just be Simon Cowell and go, no, that was rubbish. Terrible thought. Fuck off. Um, and the thought can go on its way. You don't even need to react. You just watch the thought. It dances for a while uh, in its spangled pants, and then it walks off the stage, and then the next act comes on. Um, and that's really, really great because then what happens there is, well, two things happen. One is that you stop buying into them, and you stop getting caught up in them. You, you don't go from the person bumped into me on the bus and didn't say sorry to you know nine nine minutes later where you're plotting 
their elaborate death. Um, so that's one thing which which stops you or can at least alleviate you know anxiety, depression because these thoughts pop up. And instead of letting it become, you know, uh, uh, the, the first snowflake in, a, in an avalanche, it just remains a snowflake. Um, then the second great thing is that the, the ego kind of dissipates, you know. Um, so suddenly your thoughts, the world around you, that weird itch in your foot, all of it just becomes um, sort of sensation without any uh, personality attached to it. So it doesn't become I'm thinking these thoughts. It just becomes these thoughts are happening. Uh, these thoughts are being presented to me just as the tickle in my foot, just as my itchy nose, just as that bird song over there. And if you can really stay in that for a long time, it's 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 quite a lovely, profound experience. Um, and it's, it suddenly becomes a lot easier to hear other people out, um, to be relaxed, to not get stressed by stimulus, all these sorts of things. Now, the super short version of all of that is to say that it's generally it's it's generally accepted like wisdom and health advice that, and it, you know there are different ways to go about this, but if you can cultivate a certain practice whereby you can watch your thoughts rather than buy into them, um, a lot of equanimity and happiness and um, calm can come from that and a lot of like mental fortitude can come from that so the 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 cliff notes version is don't necessarily buy into what you're thinking right now or in a really blunt way um your thoughts aren't that important which um you know imagine trying to sell an app that said that don't don't care what you think <laughs> we we don't want to hear what you think you even you don't want to hear what you think question what you're thinking right now um, now, if, if that is the general consensus of like mental health experts and meditation practitioners and wellness experts, you know, it's, it's quite not that often that science and the wellness people and everything all align, but they do in this case. If that's the, if that is the generally accepted wisdom, right? Don't necessarily buy into what you're thinking right now. Now look at the other side, an entire industry built on please tell us what you're thinking and be rewarded for it. If not buying into your thoughts is maybe not essential, but certainly contributes to better mental health and happiness, what do you imagine is going to be the net result, the net impact of an entire industry built around the exact opposite? Please buy into your thoughts. Tell us what you're thinking. You're, everyone needs to know what's in your head right now. You need to mine your internal world for content to share with people. And if, if, if you do it enough, you're going to get rewarded for it. Some people might even like what you're sharing and you'll get a little dopamine hit from retweets and shares and stuff for telling us how sad you are or what shitty thoughts you have in your head right now or how worried you are about something. You might even start meeting other people who are worried about the same thing and you'll form a little community of worried people who are constantly buying into their own thoughts um, and, and sharing it with each other and validating the fact that these thoughts are real, that you need to be afraid of the thing that you're afraid of or sad about the thing that you're sad about or depressed about the things you're depressed about. What do you think the net impact is going to be 
of this entire new industry that's only like 15 years old. Yeah, humanity does not have a grasp like a grasp on this at all. Like the horse bolted and we're now, we're still struggling. It's not even a horse. Like a totally new animal <laughs> just bolted through the stable gates. It's like an elephant with octopus tentacles and 70 dicks and um it can fly. It's got a weird like uh, blue bottle jellyfish like air sack on top. So if it, it if it chooses to, it can fly in the most hideous fashion possible, <laughs> pulsating through the sky like a squid. But instead of a squid, it's it's all dicks. Like this weird thing has bolted out of a door. We, we we're still catch, catching up, trying to even figure out what the fuck this thing is. Um. Because it's only 15 years old. Um, but imagine that this, you know, imagine the net impact of this thing. We don't even understand what it is yet. But it's become profoundly successful. And it's, it's, it's offer to us. It's, it's um, the Faustian kind of pact it's made with us is buy into your feelings. Tell us exactly what you're thinking all the time. Never have a moment of silence don't don't allow there to be a barrier between your thoughts and the outside world um don't even let it be funneled through the knowing mind or a watching mind or a the you know the thinker that watches the, the, the sorry the, the watching mind that watches the thoughts fuck that guy right off <laughs> like literally eliminate <laughs> the cornerstone of buddhism like just get fuck this watching mind guy away. Just let your thoughts come straight out through your thumbs, and then let people tell you that they're real and that you need to be validated for that. Um, imagine the net impact of that. It's the, it's the exact opposite of everything we've been told is good for us. And now imagine that by sharing these thoughts, by constantly buying into buying into our feelings, like I've you know you. We've all seen this Twitter threads like, guys, I just want to share with you what happened to me on, you know, the train yesterday. So I was, you know, I noticed this blah and then I started feeling sad and I really want to go to that person, tell them blah, 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 blah. It's like this. This is again, this, you, you're getting caught up. This is what that that phrase I was sort of let's keep in mind all the time, getting caught up in these things rather than just watching it and letting it fuck off watching it in your mind and letting it fuck off. That is, <laughs> it's not really a, a mantra uh, that's going to get printed on any mugs anytime soon. Watch what, watch what's in your mind and then let it fuck off. You, you see these, you see everyone on social media just constantly telling you that they're sad, that they're, you know, or even that they're happy. I mean, even happiness is a feeling that you can you should watch um, occasionally rather than buying into it. Because again, if you buy into it, there's the risk that you become attached to remaining in that state. And unfortunately, at some point, that happy state is going to drift away as well. So you have to be able to let go. Um, I mean, this is a huge, you know, another, you know, fundamental um, uh, concept or practice um, within a lot of um, Eastern thought and religions is, and spirituality generally and mental health is letting, letting thoughts go. But social media doesn't allow us to let our th thoughts go. It tells us to hold on to them, remember them, note them down, and share them with everyone uh, so you can be comforted for those thoughts or 
people can agree or other people can share their shitty thoughts. Oh, I have the same experience. Oh, I'm totally agree with you. Oh, that was so annoying. That fucked me off too. Just imagine, imagine the net impact on the planet of an industry that is essentially the anti, it's, it's just the opposite. It's the exact opposite of everything we've been told is good for us. And then imagine further still, or just to make it even worse, um, at least with satire, these effects were somewhat incidental and there's not like billions of dollars to be made from it. But imagine, imagine an industry built on uh, wanting you to constantly mine these experiences, um, wanting to keep you on the platform long enough to sell you ads. So do you think they're going to encourage or discourage you from doing whatever it is that keeps you on the platform? So if you're, if you're on there, sh over, you know, people t talk about overshare all the time, but if, if you're on the platform oversharing all your most negative thoughts and experiences and getting constant validation for that, or even not negative thoughts, just any, this is what I think about this. This is how I'm feeling right now. If that's what's keeping you on there, then these platforms are designed to serve you up more of that. So not only is there an internal, um, there's a there's an internal source, or uh, what am I trying to say here? There's an internal motivation to share because um, we like to share our feelings precisely because we do accidentally and mistakenly over-identify with the thoughts in our own head because they, we think they're ours, which again they are in a sense, but. Um, they're not, they're not the result of that manager or CEO. And if you delve into your mind, you'll realize there's actually, there's no one there. There's just thoughts and you can watch them. And again, it comes back to that thing of, well, if there were a CEO thinking those thoughts, why am I, who's this now looking down on the CEO? Isn't that me too? There's like 20 million news inside your head. Um, but there's these two forces now. So there's there's me wanting to share because I have ego and I'm attached to my thoughts and I think they're interesting uh, because they're mine and they're definitely not interesting. 99.99% <laughs> of the things that get said on social media are of, of no interest to anyone, but we share them anyway. But then there's an external force, which is like the algorithm or, you know, the curation team or whatever. Um finding more similar experiences or content to reflect back to you the world that you've created for yourself. Um, and so you're now in like this silly cocoon of your own making that, that is a, an, an external projection of the thoughts that you've bought into. This, of course, has, has deep uh, problems when it comes to like I guess there's an epistemological problem here as well, which is like, how do you, how can you say you know anything when the world that you're learning from, which is increasingly social media is where we get our information, is actually just a reflection of yourself in the first place. So you think you're going online and quote unquote doing your own research, but the research you're finding is actually a reflection of a reality that's been built for you by, you know, Google, Google that knows all your searches, Facebook that knows what your favorite links are to click on, you know, Twitter will suggest followers to you based on what you've been saying or doing. 
Um, so suddenly, the world you know, um, you've ne- you've now got, you've now got two problems because you've already not questioned or just watched the thoughts in your, in your own head and let them go away. You've bought into them. Um, you've now got this whole world that you need to watch and be wary of because it's a it's a doubling down of what you were thinking inside your head. So you've, assen- you've essentially now got two illusions to confront. One, the illusion that um, of you know being attached to your own thoughts and that they are yours. But now you've got this kind of whole, I mean, it's terrifying that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg wants to build a metaverse because there's a weirdly good metaphor, like, you know, this kind of digital construction of facts around you. But you've got to confront that now as well because that's, that's, the internet is not reliable because it's, it's a curated reality built on you know the the conscious like faulty dna the dna being your own thoughts and your own take on things that you've now shared with people and that is the you know that's the seed that's used to to grow this weird deluded playground with you specifically in mind i mean you know galileo you know got into lots of trouble for pointing out that we're not the center of the universe which again is is great. What a profoundly ego freeing moment collectively for humanity. Like we're not the center of the universe. Uh, going even further into yeah, Buddhism again, mindfulness practices. Um, you're not you're not even the center of yourself. Like yourself is not the center of your own universe. All of these thoughts, you can just again watch them do their little thing on stage and then fuck off. They're not important. Your own thoughts are not important to you. They don't have to be. Um, so this is great. All this great stuff. And then social media's come and flipped hundreds of years of, of what we know to be healthy and accurate about our place in the universe, which is, no, no, you are the center of the universe again. Please tell us everything you're thinking. Everything you're thinking is terribly important. Um, and we will literally build a universe around you based on the things that you like and based on your thoughts and now there's a fucking metaverse so we we will literally be the center of our own stupid little universe where you're a digital avatar floating around in whatever world you want to create for yourself if you're a racist you'll be floating around some digital fucking ku klux klan den you can all wear hoods that were probably nfts (laughs) i bought (laughs) Get your own customizable clan hood, NFT. So you can brag to your friends about your costume. Like we're just, it's gonna, it's just, none of this is good. None of this is good and it cannot be good. You cannot tell me it's good because it's built on something that is completely unhealthy. You know, I'm sure, I'm, you know, I'm sure there, there are lots of pro social media people and the things they point out, I'm, I, 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 I'm always happy to agree with. It's like you know, I found a community on Twitter. You know, I, you know, I've I've made friends on Facebook. I've you know, the, you can point to positive experiences. Again, that's great, but you're still having positive experiences on a platform that is negative. Like you cannot. It's like saying, yeah, you know, I've had great times and I've been completely shit faced and passed out. I know, but that that doesn't mean that alcohol <laughs> is suddenly a good thing it kills your brain screws your liver um causes road accidents i i I don't 
that, that that's never not going to be true just because one time you happen to hook up with someone and it was great. Like alcohol is banned for you. Cigarettes are banned for you. Yeah, but you know, I I I used to I met friends through smoking. It that that to me is what it's that's what I hear in my head when people say. But I met friends on Twitter and I've you know I've got a little community. So I know, but I don't care. <laughs> that's that's my answer. I know you did. Great. Well done. It's still, you're still dancing on a fucking stage that's made out of children's bones. But I had a really good time on the child bone stage, you know, like I danced with some people, exchanged phone numbers. We're going to meet for lunch tomorrow. Yeah, I'm sorry. Where did you meet them? On the child bone stage. Right. Again. Yeah. Still, I'm not sure the fact that you, you you shared your phone number with someone who has now gone from acquaintance to friend is um, is argument enough to justify building st- structures out of infants. Um, that's not architecturally, it's weird. Morally, I have problems with it. <laughs> Just can we please what I don't what whatever you do, on the structure made out of murdered children, um, I just I don't think that's enough to justify that as as a, as a method of making buildings. I'm sorry, <laughs> you know. So I get that positive experiences happen on these things. I, I'm just saying that the actual the foundational elements of these platforms is a net negative for all of us. Um, whether you think it's affecting you or not, there's, there is no way, and I'll explain, we'll get into this, there's no way, it's like the one ring, all right, there is no way you can go on these platforms and come away being, not being a slightly worse version of yourself. You might think you're trying to wield it for good, it will get you, be precisely because it's playing into the an aspect of us that is responsible, literally responsible for suffering which is attachment, attachment to your thoughts, attachment to, again, the, the acts that dance on stage and then fuck off. Right? That's not you. you are, you're the judge watching that, okay? Attachment leads to suffering. That is, that is the, the cornerstone principle. And, um, you know, it's, it would be like being in a movie, and this, again, this is a handy metaphor. It's like being in a movie and watching you know, people getting shot in a in a western or whatever, and screaming out because you think that's you. You're not the movie that's on the screen. You're the person in the audience watching the movie, um, and your your only job is to just watch it and um, then leave the theater afterwards. Now, um, there's this there's a lot of moving on a little bit. There's a, a lot of science to sort of back all this up as well. Um, so which angle, where shall I start this from? I'll start from the spiritual medit- meditative side. So there have been studies that show that um, when people meditate uh, and, you know, people who are seasoned practitioners of meditation, um, if you, you know, hook their brain up to a machine, <laughs> they can take over the world. No, they um, there's an area of the brain that where activity seems to decrease 
And that area if, of, of the brain is called the default mode network. Now, interestingly, the default mode network seems to be the part of your brain that is responsible for the construction of the idea of yourself. The idea that you are a you, um, that you exist. Um, and I'm not talking physically exist. Of course, we all physically exist. Uh, I think that's really important when we say, like, you don't exist. When I say you, I don't mean your body. I'm not saying you're not having the thoughts that are in your head. But the concept of a you rather than just there being a this kind of um, this swarm of ideas in your head, I guess it's like looking at a swarm of bees and thinking that somehow there's an, an overarching governing um, meta bee above all the bees. There isn't. This is all these bees working together and it looks like this cloud or a flock of birds, you know, it looks sometimes or a shoal of fish. Sometimes these things look like they have intention or a, a, an overarching consciousness or something. It's not. It's made up of all these thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of moving parts. Uh, I think it's when we say you don't exist, I think we're talking about the mind in the same way, which is that, you know, there's all these thousands of thoughts and they're working together and there is a semblance of identity there. But actually, if you break it down, you know, it is just a swarm of bees. Um, there you go. That's, I mean, talk about wanting to reduce anxiety. You've got bees in your head. Anyway, um, the default mode network, less activity in people who meditate and or at least when they're meditating. And um, this is where we construct our sense of self. And interestingly even more interestingly um is that this part of the brain is also responsible uh, as far as i'm aware for our sensation of time so it's where it's the part of the brain that considers the past and it's the part of the brain that considers the future um, and that of course makes a lot of sense because if you it's, it's it's it makes a lot of sense that the time part and the i exist part you know, I am a me exist in the same part of the brain because you kind of you need the time thing to help the sense of self, don't you? Because you construct your sense of self out of, well, I used to exist yesterday, I'm going to exist tomorrow. And it's the same person that existed then and into the future. Um, so you, time and, and the thought of past, present, future is again a very important um, ingredient in building this this sense of self. Now, uh, again, really, really good uh, seasoned, experienced uh, meditators will uh, talk about you know being here now, just being in the present moment, um, which I again it makes a lot of sense that. Um, not only when you meditate, you lose your sense of self and just become, you know, a kind of just a pure uh, web of sensations that you don't label as yours specifically. And it's very easy to imagine the thought in your head and that bird over there as just being having equal value to you, to your identity. Like that bird is not me and that thought is not me. It's surpri not surprising that uh, uh, the sense of time also dissipates when you lose ego because it seems like those two things are intertwined. Um, you're just in the present moment. You're not worried about the past. And if those worries about the past pop up in your head again, they just go away. Um, 
so fear and anxiety uh, and depression also kind of, um, they, they don't go away. Uh, I, I'm saying this as someone who, you know, struggles occasionally with depression myself. Um, I say occasionally. <laughs> All the time. Um, but those thoughts don't go away, but there's just a, ha a healthy layer between you and the and the thought, right? Um, but it's, it's interesting that I'm, I'm waffling a little bit here, but I guess ego, a sense of the passage of time and mental health uh, are quite intertwined because if you can, if your ego dissipates, you don't identify with the thoughts, then uh, you're not buying into depressive cycles of thinking or anxious cycles of thinking. So you don't get stuck in this uh, vortex. Um, but also if your passive sense of time goes away, well, time is a really important ingredient. Um, it's it, Time is like the fuel for a lot of uh, negative thinking because obviously depression is um, a an unhealthy association with the past or a, a concern about things that happened in the past. Like, oh, he said this, that means he hates me and... This has happened to me lots of times before. Maybe I'm a loser. You know, I had this argument with my mum when I was nine and uh, maybe I've never gotten over it and maybe my mum hates me, blah, blah, blah. Um, and anxiety, of course, is generally speaking, well, it can be a concern about the present, but it's like what is going to happen right now. But generally, it's, it's a concern about the future. Well, if I do this, then this might happen, you know? Um, so if you rob your brain of time, suddenly these two uh, mental health problems get a little bit of the wind gets sapped from their sails, right? Um, I'm not going to say that you're cured, but it helps. It really, really helps. Now, we started the podcast, I started saying, you know, these two forces are sort of opposed. You've got all, all the wisdom in the world saying, do these things and you'll be happy. Uh, and on the other side, you've got social media saying, no, no, do the exact opposite because uh, we'll make lots of money. Um, but you would expect that to be, if those two really are opposed, you would expect uh, that also to be reflected on the impact on the default mode network. Now, we've just said that people, when they meditate, the that area of the brain activity decreases, which leads to a loss of ego, uh, loss of attachment to ideas, negative ideas, happy ones, whatever. And also a decrease in the uh, attachment to the passage of time, which again robs certain negative cycles of thinking of some of their power. So if um, social media is built on uh, pumping up your ego and saying, I want to care what you think and this is all about you and look, you are the center of the universe, you would expect activity in the default mode network to increase when you use social media, which is true. That is exactly what happens. So it's not just my opinion. You know, this isn't just me saying, oh, I reckon, you know, I've read everything by Thich Nhat Hanh. I've read why Buddhism is true and be here now. And then I've looked at social media and decided these two things are opposite. They are literally, you can watch the brain behave in two completely different ways, um, depending on these two different, I guess, modes of existence. One, which is 
very um, detached and has that sort of watching, knowing mind vibe. And another which is completely buying into everything you think and sharing it as often as possible and wanting attention for it and buying into it and getting reinforced for it and then having that reflected back to you because now the algorithm knows who you are. Of course you would expect if the default mode network is kind of the the ego's home, uh, meditation seems to demolish it and social media seems to you know give it extensions and a patio and a swimming pool and um <laughs> flashing lights and just and and the house can talk for some reason um they've made a talking house uh, and filled it with bees so i think that scientifically we can say meditation reduces ego and you can see that in the default mode network which has a string of knock-on health benefits for all the reasons we've explained, um, especially, particularly, or actually not particularly, I shouldn't say that, but intriguingly, you know, the passage of time seems to also be sapped from that area of the brain if you meditate hard enough. On the other side, social media increases activity in the area and again has all the knock-on effects that you would expect. And therefore, it is no surprise that, um, you know, scientific journals and all these sorts of um, reports are coming out, you know, reporting a massive uh, increase in anxiety in teenagers, depression in teenagers. Um, and I, I cannot, I, 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 it's, it's not surprising to me because they, they are growing up in a world now. And this is, the, this is another problem with social media. Again, the, the planet isn't built around satire. And the planet isn't built around the news cycle. I mean, although it is more so, uh, and that is why you know I raised particular problems with that in um, in episode two. I was like, why why have we decided to make the news the kind of the cornerstone of how we interact with each other? You know, so that's that, that's our biggest social capital. Did you read the news today? Um, so the, the news slightly more so, but social media completely has uh, is, is the new paradigm of how everything operates. It is everywhere and it's in everything and it's how we're being told we have to relate. It's, it, you can't, uh, it's extremely hard to operate in the world without that now and it's, it's, it's in everything, you know? It's in, you know, restaurant chains have their own Twitter account, the news, you know, when you watch, uh, or when you watch, you know, there's a show in Australia called Q&A um, you know, they show the audience, they show people who are watching. If you tweet into the show, your opinion might get put to the, put to the bottom of the screen. You know, there, there are entire industries built around, or every industry has social media built into it now. Um, it's not, it's not some fringe thing that's, that's just, you know, like satire, it's just an art form. You know, but a lot of people don't even watch that. There's nobody who doesn't in some way have uh, a smartphone with apps on it, with social media, which even if you don't engage in proactively, like passively, you're just absorbing all this shit that's going on. There are news articles about tweets. Oh, this, you know, this celebrity had a spat about this. It is, it's everywhere. And it is the, it's the, it's the new way we do everything it's how we consume news it's why things like you know buzzfeed and huffington post soared 
when you know the Washington Post and New York Times just you know almost died. Um, for a lot of people, it's it's actually the world, like the real world, is is just a, a one massive couch <laughs> for you to sit on. It's actually it's the place where your thumbs are tapping and typing and tweeting and whatever. That's where you interact. And that's where you live most of your time. It, screen time apparently is like on average like four to five hours a day, which I don't I don't even understand how that's possible. Um, he says, you know, making a podcast that's an hour long that he expects people to listen to. Um, but you know, it's it is it's where we're spending most of our time, and it's in a world that is built on the promise of your thoughts, your opinions, your feelings, your experiences need to be mined to be turned into content to be validated by others so that's that's my supposition like i've i've pitted these two worlds against each other and broadly painted that they are definitely complete polar opposites we there's science behind that with the default mode network um interestingly psychedelics um also rob the default mode network uh of I think blood supply, you know, the blood supply decreases to the the DMN when uh, I think when you're on mushrooms. I've I've read about this, and um, so it's not surprising that you know people who have who take psychedelics have mystic experiences where they you know they feel like their ego gets completely obliterated and they can't perceive any difference between themselves and you know the grass or the walls or whatever. So that's not surprising. Um, so we talked about that. And we've talked a little bit about how that would also affect mental health, um, given that powering the default mode network obviously uh, increases attachment to your thoughts. You'll get stuck in cycles of thinking and also um, will just generally, uh, I guess, increase if, if, the, <laughs> if the sense of experience of time is wind. Uh, you know, the, your awareness of past, present, and future is wind. Then, uh, and if those things are necessary to fill the sails of depression and anxiety, then um, social media is one of those noisy wind uh, leaf blowers that <laughs> that um, people use for some reason. I'm going to blow my leaves onto the street so that they can blow back again. Why are you trying to create the illusion that your house lives in a world without trees? I've always found that so weird. I'm going to blow these annoying leaves off this concrete slab. Yes, please. Yeah, let me see more of that slab. So now we've established that, you know, social media generally does absolutely nothing good <clears throat> for our brains. What do you think is going to happen to 2.83 billion people once they all get on there and are using it every day, sometimes hours and hours a day? Clearly... You can predict, well, you can now with the advantage of hindsight. Can you predict something in the past? Um, time is just a concept, guys. And clearly, we know or could have seen had we bothered to, you know, I always, I always say we should have tested social media out on a village first for 10 years and seen what, what happened. Because I think if you did that, it would never have been released. You know, like, oh, Tim Berners-Lee's got this great idea for the internet. Great. Let's just let it, before we just unanimously decide we're going to let it just be the new thing that swamps the planet. Do you think maybe we should test it first? Test it on a village, see what happens after 10 years. Yeah, they've um, they've all just 
turned into complete angry assholes. They've become, become detached from the very concept of truth. They've divided into like reality enclaves and they're all mean to each other all the time. Great. Maybe let's not roll this out across the planet then. But we didn't test it. And as you expect, it's gone swimmingly well. But we, th there are so many pathologies or bad, like sort of um, negative patterns of behavior on social media that are tied to ego and not a surprise given what it sort of beseeches us to do. So, I mean, for example, on Instagram, there's, you know, a lot of anxiety there because, again, we... We're constantly presenting ourselves to the outside world, which again means we buy into how we look, um, how our lives appear to other people. Suddenly we see other people have more than us, so we start comparing ourselves to them. Uh, so suddenly, you know, you're becoming attached to wanting material things or, oh, I don't have this thing. I don't have what they have. Well, now, now I feel sad. Now I feel depressed because I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't have the things that all these images are presenting to me. You know, it creates craving, desire, um, which again, if you just stepped away from Instagram and just meditated or watched your thoughts and realized, that, oh, there's me wanting something, rather than detaching from the wanting, you're on a platform that actively encourages the wanting. Um, it actively encourages you to present your best life. Like it, 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 the, no one's on Instagram posting photographs of themselves having a shit time. Here's me at the back of a really long queue, hashtag queue life. Like nobody, nobody's posting that. But the weird thing is, and again, you know, our, our brains work in silly ways, but people, you know, you go on Instagram, you see rich people uh, with great houses or celebrities living their best lives, and you suddenly feel lack. You suddenly feel, oh, I don't have that, which again, stop thinking about yourself. Um, but it, it's weird. You, know, you don't go on Twitter and compare yourself to someone who has exactly the same as you. Um, oh, they've got the same as me. Well, I'm doing all right then. Um, you're always comparing up and rarely do you compare down either. You don't go, gosh, you, you know, you don't follow the Twitter accounts of poor people, um, most likely because, you know, they're not on social media that much for obvious reasons. Um, but you don't compare you don't compare down either and go, gosh, I'm so grateful. Um, there's no gratitude. There's just craving and wanting, and that's not they're better than me. But the other the other aspect of Twitter and sorry, of Instagram and social media generally as well is again, because we because we're buying into our thoughts and buying into our identity and being asked to mine that for to broadcast to people, you do start um, over-investing in this sense of self, which again, doesn't technically exist, and um, which is really silly that we <laughs> we built a whole industry around uh, something that's not there. Well done. Um, but you, because we become so invested in how you look and how you appear to the outside world because you've bought into your identity and you want other people to buy into it too, you start performatively demonstrating your identity. And I've, you know, this happens a lot. I've, I've noticed that comedy writers, like, here's me writing. And, you know, they're sitting at a cafe with a pen and paper, probably with nothing on it. And it's like, I don't need to see you 
writing your jokes to believe you that you're a comedian. <laughs> but it's, you know, everybody's doing it. Everybody's just showing who they are. Again, you're not the center of the universe. This is the, the opposite of what we should be doing. Why isn't Instagram about photographs of other people that you meet? I met this guy. We had nothing in common. We talked. I learned a lot. My whole social media account is about someone else. That would be healthy. But of course, that's insane. It shouldn't be insane. That's actually profoundly more normal than how we do use Instagram. But you you overinflate and you give too much definition to this character that you've invented for yourself that you've now completely attached to. You know, here's me writing... You know, there's probably even an Instagram account out there of someone, you know, who prides themselves on being a Buddhist or something. Here's me meditating. Well, you're not because you set the camera up to take a photograph of you meditating. Unless someone took a photograph of you by accident and sh and then had the presence of mind to share it with you, you set that photograph up. This is this is illusion. This is this is lies. This is this is pure ego. This is hey, look at me in this moment that's completely false. You know, you get people protesting, you know, with their placards, like, here's a photograph of me at the protest. It's like, well, I'm sorry, I thought the protest was about a massive systemic problem that is going to take decades to fix. Didn't realize it was about your face. <laughs> it's just like, how did you manage? How did you manage to turn that great event into an opportunity to show me a photograph of your fa your face again. And isn't it weird that any opportunity or, or situational context is, is a chance to show us a photograph of your face? Eating dinner, wow, that dinner looks like a photograph of your face. Feeling sad, it's a photograph of your face. Just woke up, it's a photograph of your face. Combating injustice. Let me guess, is this a photograph of your face? Like it's just completely built around ego. It's incredible to watch in full flight and terrifying. Over on Twitter and, and Facebook um, and, and probably elsewhere as well, um, you know, again, what would you expect to happen when you tell people that their thoughts and their opinions are the center of the universe and construct a reality around them to keep them on there for as long as possible so you can sell ad revenue, um, what would you expect to happen? Well, unsurprisingly, again, ego gets inflamed, you get attached to your ideas, your thoughts, and suddenly you've got 500 million people on Twitter who refuse to be proven wrong because if they, if they lose an argument, if they admit someone else is right, um, that's, that is their, you know, their brand, quote unquote, having, being chipped away and being weakened because every, everyone's brand, I know you think you might have your own brand on Twitter or something, but no, there's only one brand on Twitter and the, everyone has the same brand on Twitter and it's being right about something or being adamantly right about something. You can't be blasé about something and happen to be right. You have to really care about that thing and be right about it. Everyone is the same person on Twitter. I haven't seen anybody that's, or it's very rare that I see someone who has deviated from that. Every, we're all the same character on Twitter. I have my opinions. I think they're really important and I have to share them. 
and I will refuse to be proven wrong because I've, I've bought into it. I've bought into my thoughts. Now, what happens when you build a world around the, the idea of only you and your thoughts matter um, is it becomes necessary to dismiss people as quickly as possible uh, to sort of protect yourself, like to have like a, an ego immune system. So, you know, it's, you don't have, and obviously there's a, uh, a pace issue on Twitter as well. Like every, you know, you don't have time. You can only express yourself in short grabs, but it becomes necessary to not uh, entertain the, uh, the possibility that, that other people might have something uh, valuable to say that's not your own or that doesn't already align with what you think. Uh, and so you cease seeing other people as, as people. Um, so there's a, so, and, and again, ego, of course, um, like we said with meditators, or if you're on, if you have a, um, you know, a psychedelic experience, you know, the default mode network sort of shuts down or at least decreases activity. And suddenly the, the walls between you and everything else just crumble. And so ego goes away. Um, and so suddenly you're, you're very able to see yourself as connected to someone over there or that thing over there, or, you know, that bird tweeting is just as important as the thoughts in my head. They're of equal value. One doesn't have more prominence than the other. I don't identify with, you know, either one and give prominence to one over the other. So empathy is a natural byproduct of your ego dissipating as we would expect on um, social media, which increases activity in the default mode network, increases that sense of ego. Empathy takes a takes a hit. And so the consequence of that, as you would expect, is that when you're engaging with someone you disagree with, there's, no, there's extremely hard. And I've, I've felt this myself. Um, so I'm as guilty of this as, as anyone. I, I find it really hard to empathize with that person. I just want to shut them down. Um, and that's why people, you know, it's a, it's a trope, isn't it? That, you know, within three comments on Twitter, you know, someone's going to mention Nazi or cuck. You know, on either side of the political divide, you know, I, I think I've thrown the, the Nazi label around a fair few times uh, in my early Twitter days. Um, and, you know, I've been called cuck <laughs> a fair few times as well. Uh, on the, I've been on the receiving end. And they're just, you know, they're quick labels to shut someone down. And look, I, again, I said this in, in the second episode, like, you know, sympathizing or empathizing with someone's, uh, the, the empathizing with the fact that someone has come to believe something and empathizing with the story behind why they think something should not be seen as supporting their views. Okay. But it is important because what, ha otherwise what happens is everyone's on social media, meeting people they disagree with. And the, the instinct is to label them as the end product as fast as possible so you can dismiss them rather than exploring all the steps that went towards creating that end product. So, you know, with, uh, you know, so you're talking to someone and rather than thinking, oh, look, this person is desperate, this person's frustrated, they've clicked on a few wrong things and they're just desperate for any solution and so they've been willing to grab at anything. Rather than seeing that, you see Trump supporter, you know, which is what a lot of Trump supporters were. I'm not saying they all were, but you know, 
And same with Brexit. Not everyone who voted for Brexit are racist. No, a lot of people were just frustrated that Britain was like just not going anywhere. And when you're offered a choice between let's stay exactly as we are or we'll try something new, could be risky. Like if, if your choice is staying the same forever or trying something that might make things better, that you, you don't have to be racist to, to want to, to be tempted by the second thing. Um, and so instead of, again, instead of seeing someone who's frustrated, someone who's maybe struggling at work, maybe they've had health problems and, you know, seeing on the bus, you know, 350 million extra for, to the NHS, um, you know, people, are, who, people who are desperate will reach for something, um, that's, that's ironically not in their best interest. You know, people can be persuaded to vote against their own interests, but out of sheer desperation. We don't. You don't see all of that. You see dumb Brexit racists. And so, with this increase in 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 ego, the empathy takes a dive. And so, the temptation is just to label people quickly and swat them away because you know, you can't. If you can't empathize with someone, you can't see them as human. Um, you can't see how you could have had the same experience. So people cease becoming, or people cease being a culmination of their experiences. They, they cease being a, a person who's had a life. They just become a label. They just become a digital punching bag. This is where that um, quote from Thich Nhat Hanh comes into play. Because um, this is, again, this is what empathy enables. But we, again, because social media pumps up the DMN, pumps up ego, we don't think this way. Um, so this was Thich Nhat Hanh talking about encountering people who are sort of lost in neg- in the in wrong thinking. You know, they they they're either evil, uh, they think the wrong thing, they're, they're mistaken about something. And this is what he's this is what he said. This is in the miracle of mindfulness. This is how he says we should respond. Cons- Consider next the suffering caused by perceptions like pessimism dwelling on their problems with a dark and narrow viewpoint. See whether his mind functionings are motivated by fear, discouragement, despair, or hatred. See whether or not his consciousness is shut off because of his situation, because of his suffering, because of the people around him, his education, propaganda, or a lack of control of his own self. Meditate on all these sufferings until your heart fills with compassion like a well of fresh water, and you are able to see that the person suffers because of circumstances and ignorance. Resolve to help that person get out of his present situation through the most silent and unpretentious means possible. <laughs> now, does that sound like Twitter or the exact opposite of Twitter? Resolve to help that person get out of his present situation through the most silent and unpretentious means possible. That's the complete fucking opposite of what we all do on Twitter. Oh, you think the wrong thing? I'm going to quote tweet you so everyone can see it. I'm going to shame you. That's not quiet and unpretentious. I mean, this is, this is you know, <laughs> this is the problem with, I mean, I'm going to use the label cancel culture. And I know there's a lot of discussion around whether or not it even exists. I tend to, <laughs> I think with all, all of, with any such discussion, you know, 
I think the two holding an absolute opinion about it probably means you're automatically wrong. So if you're saying it definitely exists, it's everywhere, it's 1984, and you can't even say anything anymore, um, I think you're wrong. You're obviously wrong. Uh, people can still say lots of things, and usually those people who are saying you can't say anything more are people who are saying who get paid <laughs> to say exactly the things they're saying you can't say. Uh, so I think you're doing fine. It's not 1984. On the other hand, the other you know the other absolute is it doesn't exist at all. Cancel culture does not exist at all. It's nowhere. It doesn't exist. No one is being silenced about anything. And again, it's like, well, I can definitely... Sorry, you're wrong too. Both of you are fucking wrong. <laughs> I, can, I can find you an example. I can find you hundreds of examples of people losing their normal people, not celebrities. I mean, again, I mean, with famous people, that's often frustrating when, you know, I, I see people say, oh, Louis C.K. touring again. Gosh, cancel culture hit him hard. It's like, come on, there's, there's, don't point at a celebrity somehow still surviving because that's power. Like, they're, they're going to keep, Lucy is not going to never perform again. Um, but don't point at a, a, a single case of a celebrity coming back and going, well, the, well, cancel culture is not real. There are hundreds of examples of people losing their jobs, getting fired from their jobs for some stupid shit that they should have just apologized for and everyone helped them get through it again in the most quiet and unpretentious way possible Tick that hand said you know that's somebody going to a halloween party 10 years ago and getting fired because it turns out they were wearing an untasteful costume that's not that's not helping that person and again you put you put values through the prism of ego they become peacock feathers right so if you really wanted to help that person, you would message them directly, right? And say, look, um, just so you know, this was offensive and please don't do it again. Instead, what we do is we screen grab a photo, share it so everyone can see it. Why? To help that person? It's not even, it's, it's to make you, it's so people are aware of what your values are again. And you can deny that, but I mean, look at the business model. Look at what Twitter and social media generally is. It's about you, your thoughts, your feelings, your values, and promoting them and building them up and building a brand around that as much as possible. But anyway, let's say cancel culture doesn't exist. There nevertheless exists a tendency for people when they spot wrongdoing online to highlight the perpetrator so that everyone can, I don't know, I don't know what, insult them, tell them they're wrong. Then you get tweets saying, who's his employee? Like this happens almost every time. So I see some wrongdoing, some person being pointed out for doing some wrongdoing. There are comments under that tweet for the brave person who pointed out that this this person made a mistake, this deluded person. Again, remember, people are a product of the story that created them. So, you know, if they're deluded, that means they need, they need more empathy, not less. Oh, he's a racist. So, yeah, sure, I need to empathize with him, not, not the people he's, a, you know, he abuses every day. Well, you can A, sympathize, sympathize with both, and B, I mean, he's if he's deluded, then, yeah, <laughs> he needs... 
sympathy. I said this in the last episode as well. Like, do you, who 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 do you reserve your empathy for? What people who who think the right thing? They're fine. They don't need sympathy. Anyway, you'll see under the in the comments a few down. Like, who's his boss? Oh, they work for the bloody blah, blah. You know, such and such newspaper. Let's at the newspaper so that you know you should fire this person. What what is going on? Like let's forget cancel culture exists that situation exists and so i don't know what to call that if we're not allowed to call it cancel culture but again whatever it's called it's not coming from a place of empathy it's not coming from a place that resonates with that quote that i just read of maybe it's maybe consider why they're ignorant is it their friends is it their education is it propaganda right which tignat hand said in the miracle of mindfulness now that's pre social media Right, and we're exposed to so much more misinformation now. It's even more important that we're empathetic towards people who may think the wrong thing. But I, I, I just find it so cognitively sort of dissonant that the same, I guess, progressive types who on on another day would say, "Well, the prison system is cruel because it's based on punishment rather than rehabilitation." They'll say that in one breath, but then in the next, they're like, oh, this person fucked up. Let's all make them feel like shit. Like, where, where's the message to them? Look, I think, I think you think the wrong thing. And I don't know what you've clicked on, but here's, I'm going to help you. Like, don't you want, people don't want to help people. They just want to punish them. And they want to be seen to be the person that has punished them or, or be seen to be the person that brought that perpetrator to into you know into the spotlight so i spotted that person can i have praise please again you're you're engaging with the end product oh this person thinks the wrong thing therefore that's what i'm gonna that's what i'm gonna react to i'm not gonna contemplate the what might have led that person to that point and i'm not even gonna address that i'm just gonna make sure everyone in my circle of you know my peers sees the wrong thing and then gets this person fired. I mean, on on a, on a slight tangent, I, I think that's possibly, I think that's possibly the one ingredient missing from again whatever you want to call cancel culture. I think is is the is the resolution after the 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 wrongdoing has been pointed out. I think if that could be included as part of the process, that would actually lead to something pretty interesting. Um, I mean, what instead of cancel culture, why not? call it you know rehabilitation culture it, it shouldn't be hey everyone look at this tweet from this fuckwit i mean because <laughs> it it's you can't you can't deny right if you say oh look here's a, here's a tweet from this fuckwit everyone you can't then like wash your hands and go what i was just hoping they would learn something like no you, what what do you think you know what's going to happen when you screen capture that that shitty post they put up or you know that f the photograph of them doing the wrong thing, whatever. You, you <laughs> when you when you tag someone, you go, "Hey, everyone, look at this tweet from this f fucking guy." Um, you're not you're not hoping that a really ha pleasant process is going to unfold where they realize their wrongdoing and everyone has an empathetic chat. Like you you can't wash your hands of that process and go, "Whoa, I was just." I was just pointing out, you know, this this is just accountability. Yeah, but you're accountable too. 
right? You can't point out wrongdoing in the hope that if someone loses their job, what's losing? The weird sort of focus on punishing people through their means of employment as well. I don't quite. It's always the same thing. It's like, oh, this. Look at this. You know, look at this bad. Look at what this bad person said. Or look at the, what this. I mean, it's not even a bad person. Look at what this probably 90% good person said that's 10% wrong. Um, let's get them fired. I don't, what's the connection between those two things? Why isn't it not, look at what they said that's wrong. Let's make them right. Like, why is that not your, this, this, no, no one's interested in that. Because again, it takes time. The, you, what you're interested in is the quick dopamine hit of I'm the hero who spotted this bad thing. And then, then you just walk off. You put your phone down and go make your cup of tea. And then, you know, tomorrow you'll probably find somebody else who's ignorant or deluded or, you know, bigoted because they've grown up in a silly bubble. Um, you're not interested in the, the rehabilitation part. And again, I just find it, I find the loss of income <laughs> as a lesson just, well, I mean, it's just fucking stupid, to be honest, but... I I just I just think it's funny like the just yeah the 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 through line from you've done something wrong so you, you need to lose your job it's like I, I just <laughs> it's such a weird because it happens within like two or three comments so it's like well who does this person work for let's find let's find their employer get them in on this there's just no connection you know it's like oh you've done something wrong I'm gonna shave your pets so like, all right uh, not sure sorry what did I but what did I do wrong and how do I not do it again? Like, I just, I don't know. I just, I, I think, see, point, pointing out wrongdoing, finding someone who has, you know, gone wrong in their thinking, is deluded uh, and is entrapped in hate, uh, seeing someone like that and pointing out their wrongdoing in the hope of a pylon, to me is, is as far from, social justice as, as 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 anything i can imagine i mean it's it's like you know if, if a sheep strays from a flock just going well fuck that sheep then <laughs> rather than helping it yeah uh woolly mcfluffins uh strayed from the flock yesterday so uh broke all his legs anyway moving on you know like punishment punishment is just rehabilitation minus empathy you know, it's just it's not actually so you know if you if you suck empathy out of rehabilitation what you end up with is vengeance and, and punishment but again none of, none of this is surprising because or you know like i said you know uh, social media is a bit like the one ring like you can put any process through social media through the prism of ego and it will come out the other side a, a kind of tainted version of itself so you know on instagram um fitness turns into you know extreme like weird wellness like fake cancer cures like everything just becomes the more the more extreme version of itself on social media because you know you keep having to go further further to the edges to stand out but again you have to ask yourself why stand out and what you know why fully embrace this new why does it matter that you have to be successful on this medium that 15 years ago didn't exist but you'll notice a, a slew of pathologies and harmful behaviors on all of the apps. And they're all sort of like shadow versions of, of what those apps offer. So Instagram, which is about sharing good memories and happy stuff, 
becomes twisted and becomes, you know, it becomes about jealousy. It becomes about neurosis that you don't have, you're not as good as that person over there. It becomes uh, about resentment that you don't have as much as that person over there. Uh, it becomes uh, insecurity around body image. All of these things, because again, you're overly investing in yourself uh, and, and wanting this like fictionalized version of yourself to succeed. On Twitter, it becomes about always being right because Twitter is a word-based medium. It's about your opinions, your stance on things. And that leads to arguments, name-calling, a lack of empathy, punishment without empathy, shouting people down, hurling insults. And so it's no wonder that, you know, and you know, Facebook has its own problems as well. Um, it's no wonder that, you know, there's just a, a, an increase in mental health problems um, since the, you know, that coincides with the flourishing of social media. Now, the, the problem is with all of this is that unfortunately, you know, unlike say diabetes where that's an affliction which you know is bad and it doesn't feel good to have it, you know, we're not all rushing out to try and get diabetes. Ego is an affliction that unfortunately uh, feels really good Um if you focus on yourself and uh, pump up yourself, you know, and celebrate yourself and really buy into yourself, and if you succeed, I mean, giving attention to yourself feels really good because, again, um, somewhat mistakenly, we're overly attached to the me that we think we are, um, and we're selfish and ego is narcissistic, so we like attention. You know, that's the problem. When you point out the person who's done something wrong or, you know, a mistake on Twitter and go, ha look at this F-wit. Uh, if you get 200 likes and retweets and stuff for that, that feels good. Even though you've done something that objectively helps the planet in no way whatsoever and, and probably makes it worse because you've just pushed, you know, again, that stray sheep even further away um, and not shown it how to get back to the flock. You, you've, you know... You feel great. I mean, this is the problem with ego is it's it feels really good. Um, not being selfish doesn't look good, unfortunately. You don't see a lot of like enlightened beings uh, driving around in a Ferrari packed with women. <laughs> you know, that's not, that's not what Buddha did. Um, and, it, you know, sitting under a tree and breathing, that's, that's, that's why would I do that? Why would I do that when I can have a car of breasts? <laughs> it just, that looks far more appealing. Why would I, you know, so being selfish, it gets you money, it gets you all sorts of things that materially feel great. Um, so this is the problem. This is, you know, in in trying to cast ego as an affliction unfortunately ego has this amazing self-defense mechanism which is that it benefits the person who matters most which is yourself um unfortunately that's not gonna you know collectively that's not gonna lead us anywhere anywhere good you know lo lo looking out for number one feels good for you but it affects the world around you in a way that's going to come back um and bite you again um I mean, here's, here's a nice story about how we're all interconnected and how selfishness might feel great, but ultimately doesn't serve you in the long run. 
So there's the famous story, of course, uh, in Yellowstone um, in the US, Yellowstone National Park, which in the late 19th century and early 20th century, they eradicated all the wolves, right? So, so there were, you know, ranches and stuff around there that, you know, weren't a huge fan of the wolves because uh, they do the bitey kill thing. And um, so the wolves were eradicated. Now, unfortunately, what then happened was the elk uh, population. So wolves prey on uh, elk. Um, the elk population exploded. Now, as far as the elk was concerned, this was great, right? Because suddenly you've got no natural predator and you've got this huge expanse of land to just eat uh, as much stuff as as you want, um, which feels on a person on an individual level, they would have been gr- so happy, right? I can eat as much as I want all day. Uh, I'm not going to get killed. Isn't this fantastic? Unfortunately, because all the elk were doing that, and because there were no wolves and the population was expanding, you know, they just eat everything, all all the vegetation which then uh, it destroys the quality of the soil, which makes it harder for more vegetation to come back. So suddenly the elk are starving um, and the ecosystems collapse um, because everyone's looking out for themselves. Now, obviously, it's hard. It'd be, <laughs> it's, I'm kind of putting a lot on the elk here, uh, but it would be hard for them to have a meeting and say, look, I know on an individual level, I kind of just want to eat as much as I can. Um, but I think collectively... Uh, actually, we need to think about each other and all just like cap how much uh, we're allowed to eat every day and not be selfish and think about everyone and then we'll all benefit. But of course, uh, elk lack the uh, <laughs> the capacity to have meetings. But um, had they done that, they would have been fine. But they didn't. They let self-interest uh, dictate behavior, which, you know, generally speaking, can be fine. But they... If you if if your only motivator is self interest, there's going to be a ripple effect, and it's going to come back to bite you. And it did because, as I said, the ecosystem collapsed, um, and so weirdly, self interest does not benefit yourself. It's actually a greater act of self interest to not act in self interest, right? To not to just calm down, just only eat what you need, don't overgraze, blah blah blah. Don't breed too much. Don't look after your own species. By not looking after your own species specifically, you are looking after your own species because the ecosystems remain intact, etc. Um, but that didn't happen, and uh, there were huge problems. And so eventually, um, you know, and, and this had huge, the, the, the impact of taking the wolves away was immense. I, th- I think, if I remember correctly, you know, because soil quality eroded, then you know rivers changed their course because the soils. I think you know this the banks of the rivers weren't as strong, so the, I think the rivers changed and stuff. It was a huge domino effect. So eventually, they reintroduced the, the wolves, which kept the elk in check and the ecosystems returned. Rivers came back or something changed their course again. Uh, it was a huge success story. Now, meditation and confronting ego is the wolf right without that your ego runs rampant and while you think you might be acting in self-interest collectively you are acting towards the the harm of the greater good which therefore will come back to bite you specifically again sounds suspiciously like karma doesn't it social media is the exact opposite of that okay so even though ego feels good 
solely focusing on that and making that the epi epicenter, the focus of your business model, making people feel great about themselves, making people feel like their feelings and their thoughts have to be attached to and shared constantly. That is the equivalent of not just killing the wolves, but choppering in even more elk and then giving those elk steroids and guns, training the elk to use guns to shoot anything that gets in their way on their relentless quest to gorge on fucking dopamine <laughs> on grass and veggies, which in this in our metaphor is, I don't know, retweets and likes or something. Uh, the, this metaphor has gone off the rails a bit. I'm comparing <laughs> Twitter to elk. But you get the point, right? Building an entire world. And this is, the, again, this is the problem I said before. It's, it's not like this is some fringe thing like satire. You know, this is the new world. This is literally the model we're building companies and schools and every social interaction on. Every, every fucking Nike wants us to move into the metaverse, whatever the fuck that means. I didn't think I needed shoes in there. <laughs> Isn't it digital? Why is, it, why is Nike wants us to get into the metaverse? Why is Nike in the metaverse? What the fuck are they doing? I don't have feet in there, do I? What if that tells you how stupid this whole thing is well hi we sell shoes in your mind anyway we're moving into these increasingly ego-centered landscapes i mean metaverse you'll be able to construct a whole visual realm that is pleasing to you specific focusing on the self centering the self feels great okay mm, hungry elk nom 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 collectively it's bad for all of us it's destroying spiritual ecosystems healthy habits you know rivers streams they're all dying off and being replaced by arid just landscape you know replaced with arguments name calling retribution without empathy jealousy neurosis depression anxiety pumping up the default mode network worrying more about the past worrying more about the future giving wind to the sales of depression and anxiety i know social media feels great i love it too i struggle to get off it all the time but the feel goodness of it to you specifically is not the collective good and it's it's a goodness that's going to bite us in the bum repeatedly in the future this is why i have a problem when we you know when people defend social media and say well look i made you know i made friends on there you know it's a great place and you know i talked about that earlier it's like well maybe you had a great time on a stage built out of children's bodies that's not that doesn't justify it you know i really enjoyed chernobyl the tv series um but that doesn't mean that chernobyl the actual event was therefore justified and we shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't want that to happen again. Just because something good came out of an awful situation does not justify the awful situation. Fossil fuels power hospitals, okay? Something good is coming out of fossil fuels. I mean, you could argue everything that's good has come out of fossil fuels. Charities, the buildings they operate in, hospitals, live gigs, comedy shows, music, all the food you eat, all these great things come out of a world that was built on fossil fuels. The great thing is now, fortunately, we're only, well, um, possibly too late, but we're beginning to realize that fossil fuels uh, as the foundational requirement for all these things to happen is actually a poison, 
right? And I think, I genuinely believe that in 30 years time, 50 years time, we will look on social media in the same way. Social media as the foundational requirement for interaction, a, a model built on ego might generate all these great things, but the ripple effect of that as a fuel source, as a spiritual fuel source, will be proven to be a poison in many, many years to come. And we're already seeing it happen anyway. We're seeing these increases in anxiety, depression, other mental health problems. It doesn't matter what good comes out of social media. Its fuel source is ego. And therefore, net, its influence can only be negative. Now, I, I don't know what an alternative model to this is because I think, you know, uh, I mean, I could say all sorts of weird nonsense now. It'll never happen because ultimately what drives social media is, is you know, is capitalism. So, the you know, the reason social media has been so wildly successful and the reason we should be, and which is precisely the reason you should be so skeptical about it is because it tapped into our innate selfishness. I mean, we all can't get off it. We're all we're all hooked, you know, um, because it, because we are the most important people to ourselves. Um, and so, by offering us, you know, that I should have I should have seen this coming well, years ago when you know, um, the, what was it the opening? What's the opening gambit of Twitter these days? Like, or what was it originally? Now, what's on your mind? What are you thinking? That was the biggest giveaway. It's like, all oh, right, you want me to share what's in my mind when really the healthiest thing to do is question it um, or maintain a healthy sense of detachment. But that a, a business model based on that was always going to take off. Um, that's why they're all doing so successfully. Take photographs of yourself on Instagram. It's no, no wonder one of the first tweaks to the iPhone was a rear-facing camera. Um, but also, isn't that a terrible indictment of our self-centeredness that the camera facing you became more important than a, the camera that was facing to the outside world to other people um but there's no i don't you know to me hypothetically if i were you know god of the universe and could control everything um you know the the alternate model would be social platforms that promote inhabiting other people's shoes and forcing you to think about other people and promote other people. Um, so instead of like, what's in your mind, it would be, you know, go and talk to someone you haven't met today and make all your posts about them. <laughs> like, yeah, ideally your Instagram account should be about someone else. Like one, like literally one specific person who you have to document for their whole lives. You know, there's a documentary crew apparently following Beyonce around all the time. There's like thousands of hours of footage. Like you should be the documentarian for someone else's life from now until the day you die. And that at least would challenge you and force you to not, you know, value your own thoughts so much. But of course, that's never going to happen. That is not because no one would use it. Right, so I can only use this app if I post out other people. Well, then I'm not interested in that. Surprise, surprise. I'm only interested in um, one thing, and that's myself. So it's never, you know, it's built into, it's built into, it's built into social media. 
by necessity that it will never succeed unless it's about anything other than the individual because um, that's why it's taken off um, and that's why it's been so successful because it has tapped into exactly the the fuel source that we all love the most which is ourselves you know twitter wouldn't take off if it was you know, what does somebody else think you know twitter would never take off if it was if it was you know what does somebody else think about this what i've got to go and find someone and ask them jesus christ no way yeah no way of course how dare how dare we entertain the idea of seeking out other people's lived experiences and other people's thoughts so you know that there is no model i think that could replace it because any model that could replace it would would not then be successful would therefore cease to exist so it can only exist by capitalizing on our own self-interest so i you know any alternative just would would not exist by definition it would it would fail what we can do is i mean first of all decrease our use um i mentioned this in the in the episode on news in episode two as well I, I would honestly recommend only checking in to Twitter and Instagram or whatever once a week if you if if you can if you can because checking in every day or even multiple times every day, which many of us do, I know I have gone through um, phases of that. It just gives you more opportunities to tap into th those thought spaces that just aren't good for you, um, and to again prime the default mode network, which will have the knock-on effect of you know filling again, like I said, filling the sails um, of depression and anxiety and other health problems, as well as you know obviously boosting ego um, and over attachment to your thoughts, which makes it harder to escape you know negative or uh, unhealthy or harmful thought cycles, you know all that kind of stuff. Um, so the more often you're in there, the more you're essentially training the default mode network like a muscle. And unfortunately, this is a muscle we don't want to be strong. Um, we want it to be, we want it to go away. The other thing you can do if you are someone who suffers from, you know, negative trains of thought or, you know, uh, just, just, I don't know, you get sucked into those, you know, vortices of negative thinking or anxious thinking, um, is, is don't, don't yield to social media's like solicitations to, share that because sharing it is in a way giving it power and, and, and sort of saying, well, I thought this, it must be valid. I'm sharing it with you because I need sympathy. And of course, you know, reach out to friends and stuff if, if you're, if you do want help, but also don't, don't forget you have the right to question the thoughts in your head and just look at them again, like thoughts on a projector, um, sorry, like a movie on a projector screen. You're in the audience watching this stuff. So if if you got into a habit of sharing that stuff and therefore making it instantly real on social media, um, maybe maybe try and do a like for like. If you, if you spend 20 minutes, you know, use your screen time app thing on your iPhone. If you're spending two hours a day on social media, uh, well, A, cut it down because that's, that's heaps too much. Um, but also... I don't know, if you spend five minutes on social media, spend five minutes meditating, spend five minutes practicing, watching your thoughts and letting them drift by, build that muscle up. So at least you've got a counterbalance. Don't just constantly buy into your feelings and then put them out on the internet because you think that's where they belong. They actually don't necessarily belong anywhere. Um, you can just let them go away. So that's another thing we can do is maybe not buy into our thoughts so much and just watch them a little bit more um, because that ultimately 
will will benefit. I think the other thing we can do is try and help people a little bit more or just leave them be. Or if, if, if you spot wrongdoing, if you spot something harmful or something that offends you, rather than mustering a sort of a posse to come and slam this person, remember, again, that's servicing ego. You are being a silly um, vegetable hoarding elk, <laughs> okay? Um, maybe for this benefit of the ecosystem, for the benefit of the greater good, direct message the person. Um, I read a, I read about an interesting course. I'll have to dig the article up. I'll post uh, a link on Patreon if I can find it. To, so subscribers, supporters, you will have access to this. There was a great article about uh, call-in culture rather than call-out culture and someone offering a, a course on that in the United States. I'll, I'll find the details later. But, you know... That, that, that is a great governing principle to call someone in. Again, I mean, this idea of, you know, a sheep straying from the flock. You don't just point that they're out of the flock and mock them. Bring them in. So send them a direct message. Say, look, this is what I, you know, this, is, this offended me, just so you know, because of these factors, um, or I think you're mistaken because of these factors. A better way to put it might be this, or you might not know, but people from my you might not know, but people from my community find those words, blah, blah, blah. That's, it's a lot more work, but at least it's, it is work. It's something that can work. Calling out is not something that, again, I mean, just make them lose their jobs. Great. You know, shave their pets. I don't know what that's doing. That's not accountability. That is, that is just rehabilitation minus empathy, which is just punishment. So, yeah, try calling people in. Uh, that's much better. I think on Instagram, if you're seeing people who own more shit than you or look more beautiful than you, according to you, um, I, I don't know what to recommend there other than just practicing gratitude. You might have to just meditate on being grateful for what you do have, not wanting more and being, you know, being aware that there are people who are suffering a lot more than you. And so for you to be most likely in a position of extreme privilege relative to many, many people, uh, to still be feeling like you need stuff and you want stuff is actually a bit, I mean, it's a bit, again, it's a bit deluded, which again, the internet uh, does that to us quite a lot. It makes us all a bit delusional, but you're, you're deluded in thinking you don't have enough. But yeah, just just practice gratitude where you can. Um, I think that's all we can do. You don't, you shouldn't feel nervous, neurotic, anxious, just because you've seen someone else who has more than you. Again, I'd recommend The Miracle of Mindfulness by Thich Nhat Hanh and also um, Be Here Now by Ram Dass. Because um, being here now, again, if you're on social media looking at someone else, some when else who has more than you, again, we, that's not important. Um, I've, I've lived in, you know, tiny apartments and been extremely happy because I've meditated and I've, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to live in a, in a nice-ish house now and uh i'm sometimes extremely sad but those those moments of sadness that you know they don't come from what i do or don't have they come because i'm attached to something or i'm thinking too much about what other people have and when i remember to meditate and stuff i you know i suddenly become a lot more grateful so it's it's not what you do or don't have or what other people have that's um that needs to be the cornerstone of your happiness it's just you know just being here now, just being in the present moment, listening, noticing things, not craving, wanting, just enjoying, just enjoying being is enough uh, and much happiness can come from there. So 
because you know the, the silly thing is that it's not it's not them having more that made you sad it's the fact that you saw that they had more so it's just it's actually a photograph on a screen has made you happy which if you hadn't turned your phone on you wouldn't have seen like they always have more than you they have more than you right now um sorry to tell you that there's lots of people who have a lot more than you um but you're not seeing it it's the seeing it that's made you unhappy it's the thinking about it that's made it unhappy remember you you can watch your thoughts just let that thought do his little dance on the stage and fuck off but you know again i would just encourage using that medium less if it's a visual cue for your you know a sense of lack if that's all you're getting out of it or be ha- or practice practice um you know there's practice loving uh, kindness there's a meditation called loving kindness called metta bhavana you know be be happy for them you know because again social media this is the problem it's all about you isn't it um so why when you we see these pictures of people having more than us it makes us nervous or they're at a cool party and we're not at a cool party why is this about what you don't have rather than about what they do have um be happy for them you know uh meta bavna we can talk about that another time but you know essentially it's you know you, you focus on wishing nice you i always repeat to myself may i be well may i be happy may i progress and you repeat that in your head enough times and it works it's you know this is why the news is bad for us right because it all you hear is bad stuff you repeat that phrase over and over again to yourself come out 20 minutes later feeling like um you know god's just polished you bollocks <laughs> i don't know if that's not a phrase sounds like a cockney thing isn't it i feel like god just polished my bollocks um thanks jason statham but now i come out of that feeling great and then but what you slowly do is you shift the focus onto other people so it starts with may i be happy may i be well may i progress and then you move on to a friend and then you move on to someone neutral and then eventually you move on to someone you hate um or feel have negative feelings towards at least um, and you come out of it wishing well to the whole world. Now, what that does again is, of course, is take your innate uh, sort of instinct to want to be kind to yourself and love yourself and look after yourself. And it slowly transplants that feeling onto other people until you feel like a oneness, which is lovely, right? To to feel that, to care for yourself uh, or to care for others as much as you do for yourself. Try practicing that. If social media is really making you that depressed and anxious that, you know, you don't have this and you're not good enough, practice loving kindness meditation. So focus on yourself. But then, so when you see these photographs, it, it'll, it, might, it might come instinctively, right? You see these photographs of other people and you, 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 the, the knee-jerk reaction, you train your mind away from the, the, the old habit of feeling sad and depressed about it. You go, why don't I have that? To, I'm so glad they have that, you know? Your knee-jerk reaction should be happiness for others, right? So um, don't let social media be about you and what you don't have. Let it be a window to other people and um, being being happy with what other people have regardless of what you have. And again, this is why my, my, my business model would never take off. It's like, hey, what's someone else doing? Um, it would, no, <laughs> there's, no, there's no egotistical incentive, incentive there to use that app. But um, you, you make make that what Instagram is for you. Make it opportunities to see your friends and, and those who have more than you and just being uh, having gratitude that they're having the life they're having. That's kind of nice, isn't it? And then finally with, um, you know, uh, coming across people from different ideological groups um, and arguing and coming across people who think the wrong thing, which, uh, you know, 
increasingly these days is becoming more common. I mean, you know, with, with Brexit, there was a clash there with, you know, the Trump election, even more so with the his attempt to win a second term even more, because, I mean, that by that point we were talking about, you know, the election's been stolen and you know, people just in different different camps of reality. Um, and now with the pandemic, you know, I, I'm coming across even friends who, you know, are challenging, uh, I'm finding challenging uh, with their views. Um, but again, everyone is a is a result of a story. Everyone is as uh, the end at the end point of a process, or is well, it's not even ended yet. They're still ongoing, you know. But every, whatever opinion you're seeing someone spout online, that they've come to that opinion through, you know, as Tik Nhat Han said, uh, because of his situation, suffering because of the people around him, his education, propaganda, or lack of control of his own self. Focus on those things, right? Med so he said, meditate on all these sufferings until your heart fills with compassion. So if somebody's saying the wrong thing, don't focus on the wrong thing and swat it down or muster a, a mob. Look at this person tweeting this shitty thing. Meditate, as in think about, um, meditate on, well, what must it have taken to get that person there? And is there anything I can do to combat those forces because that's the only thing you're going to do today that's helpful okay because pointing that out or replying to them hey horse paced shit face is achieving nothing it's achieving just noise in the world and precious seconds away from your increasingly shortening life so um, just don't don't bother um but that you know empathy is is at least going to do something rather than fanning your you know the peacock feathers of your values uh, to focus on yourself and be, you know, self-centered. And again, you know, the elk destroying the landscape, you're contributing to the destruction of the landscape by refusing to see that person as a process. Um, you are merely in it for numero uno. And the the most beautiful thing we can do, and again, to quote Thich Nhat Hanh, is to resolve to help that person get out of his present situation through the most silent and unpretentious means possible. Um, and I would follow the advice of him, a peace activist that's loved throughout the world over some angry person on Twitter who says, yeah, but we've got a truth to power. Calling someone a horse pay shit face or whatever is not truth to power. It's just... I don't know what it is, but it's you're just you're being a silly elk is what you're being. You're being an angry elk. You need a, you need some wool. You need some brain wolves to get in there and kill off a bit of those ego elks. That metaphor is just wild. Anyway, this has been another long episode. Um, so thank you for listening this far. If you have, um, I think that's it for my initial kind of. I really just wanted to set the scene and trace my own steps from being a satirist and realizing oh it's reacting to the news which isn't that great and news is spread on social media and oh i see what this is doing to me now um and that's that's really kind of the the three spheres that i wanted to look at in a very broad and somewhat academic and boring sense um i think from here on um the episodes are going to get shorter and we're going to look at more like tiny snippety topics but those are the three big ones that I wanted to tackle, mostly for my own sake, to get it out of my face and out of my mind. Um, so if you, it's not been for you. How weird is that, that my podcast on Banishing Ego has 
been largely about servicing my own need to articulate something. But there you go. That's, I mean, we're all fucking not perfect, are we? Um, but yes, it'll, it's going to start moving into shorter, um, snippety episodes from here on in. Um, and also I'm going to start sourcing guests as well because um, now I've got these chunks out of the way. I can kind of focus a bit more. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed it, again, uh, please support the podcast on Patreon uh, or at least spread the word. Um, that's also something you can do that costs nothing. Um, and yes, I'll see you in another two weeks. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.